You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick doing a crossover episode today. And and, uh, we're in the off-season in football, kind of awaiting the start of free agency right now. The date is March 4th, which you'll see in a reason may may actually become meaningful if if the labor dispute in baseball gets solved before this gets aired. Uh, But that's what we're here to talk about. And uh, joining us is Rob Shields. Uh, You know him from Utah Street and Russell Street Report. He's at Rob Shields, sorry, at rshields97 on Twitter. Make sure you give him a follow. Uh, And he's here to tell us about the labor dispute. Uh, Rob, how are you doing? Doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me. I, I always I appreciate uh, touching base with new people, Rob. I, I've talked to you a couple times about doing a football show. We can never quite make it work, but appreciate having you on for this. So we've got a, a long-running history now of strikes and lockouts dating back to at least 1972. I think that was the first one in baseball. I don't know how many total labor stoppages there have been, either owner-initiated or player-initiated, and you're going to see we're going to try and – examine the views of both sides during these episodes. Do, do you know the total number of labor stoppages so far? Uh, I think it's five or six um, okay. over those years. Um, I can't remember the exact number, but I, I'm pretty sure it's right around that number. 
All right. Uh, we have a lockout this time as opposed to a strike. It's uh, it's initiated by the owners before the season. The owners obviously have an interest in not losing high-value games at the end of the year, so they'd rather lose the beginning of a season. The players want leverage, so they'd like to uh, strike in the middle of a year when they don't have a CBA uh, that's in force. Am I correct on that? Yes, that, that is correct. Um, you know, the... I'm sure there is a fear on the owner side of things that if they don't do a lockout and they enter the year status quo, that the the, the players then strike as they did in 94, uh, where they lost the World Series. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's definitely the prevailing thought on the side of ownership that considering they, I mean, they claim that some of them um, work at a loss in April, whether you want to believe that or not, but that they, they operated a loss in April, that losing those games is worth it to them to get more on their side than on the player side. Gotcha. Okay, I mean, it makes sense. Certainly, are there lower value games? I think we could all agree on that. Uh, uh, that April baseball is a uh, is operating a loss. Um, so, I think we understand at least the motivations of that. Let's talk about one of the other big overarching issues, which to me is the thing that it makes football's games so great is the roller coaster parity. I call it created by the salary cap. You know, they the, football is obviously in a better position to pool their resources spread them roughly evenly. I mean, teams still make money on uh, what they sell in terms of seats that, that's different, and, and they make money uh, on some of the elements, but they have such a large portion of their total revenues during the TV contract that they're able to operate with a salary cap very effectively. Yes, and, you know, and obviously with the NFL, there's, you know, they, they, they've got much more national money, whereas with baseball, it's more regional. And mm-hmm. that's where... That's where some of these issues come in in terms of these large market versus mid market versus small market type teams. You have a team like the Yankees where they generate $3 billion of revenue through the Yes Network. And then you've got other teams that are getting 50, 60 million from their cable network. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, that's really where you're seeing a huge disparity. And, <clears throat> you know, this is why we, we're, we're seeing the, the real problem with being with this with the with the competitive balance tax or the luxury tax whatever you know whatever you're used to hearing but that's where we're really seeing the issue um you know the the players believe that that tax should rise because we are seeing a high number uh, a huge number of revenue i mean the 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 cba that they're working on is you know that it's it's over with it was signed five years ago uh, baseball revenue is up 30% in that time period. So that's one of the things that, that, that they're focused on. Okay, so when you say the tax should rise, what you really mean is the threshold before the tax <laughs> kicks in should rise. So where it's like... Yes, correct. Yes. Okay, it might have been $200 million or something before, and I don't know the exact number. They might want it to rise to $250 million, uh, to, to before tax is created. And the players obviously have an interest in making that as large as possible so the large market teams can spend at the high end and to a, to a degree drive... Um, mid-market and low-market spending to a greater degree. Yeah, so the, 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 the current CBD, CBT number is around $210 million. And mm-hmm. the players have pitched the idea of it kind of getting into the 230s to begin with and then increasing every year over the next, you know, five years until the next CBA. Mm-hmm. Getting to the point where it's up to as high as $270 million. Now, <clears throat> Realistically, we're really only talking about a few teams that we have to worry about with this CBT. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, if you're an Orioles fan, two of those teams are in your yep. division. But you, you, you know, you include the, you include the Yankees and the Red Sox, and now the Mets with the way that their new ownership is spending. You have the Dodgers, the Dodgers who are very interesting because they spend big money, but they also develop their talent. They kind of they're the they're the ones that you know everybody dislikes because they do everything the right way. But you, you have that that issue. So you, you, you have the owner saying, well, we're, we don't think that that tax should – that number should increase or at least not increase that much. They've been willing to go up to 220, um, and they're obviously not at their final, final number. So you figure they're, they're willing to go a little higher. 
but they're not willing to go. They don't want to go too much higher than that because they're going to sit there and say, well, then that makes it even harder for the small market teams to compete with the large market teams. Right. Um, what, what I find interesting about all of this is that I don't understand why both sides aren't fighting for a floor more than the, the, the tax. So, the the owners pitched the idea of a hundred million dollar floor um last uh over the um like over during the regular season and when that floor was pushed they um they also wanted it to be to where the the uh the luxury tax number dropped to 180 so it was let's have a floor of 100 million and let's have a luxury tax number of 180 well the players didn't like the idea that the that the that the number dropped to 180 but what i never but what was never talked about was did the players reject the idea of a floor cuz see to me the 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 cbt is really only going to affect four or five teams Maybe maybe some teams like, say, the Phillies or, or a few other teams might creep up a little bit higher if that number goes up. But for the most part, we're only talking about a handful of teams or so at most. Well, the floor is the same thing. We're only dealing with a handful of teams that don't spend mm-hmm. or at least don't, you know, maybe it's not the same teams every year because you have these teams who decide that, you know, now the way to do this is to, to be terrible for four or five years. And in that time period, they may not spend. <clears throat> but if you made them spend... And, and you kept that CBT cap, like the high number, close to where it is, which I guess is what the players are saying. Then all of a sudden, that seems to solve a lot of these problems because the players, they're, I mean, they're really, they're, they're most upset about the idea that, you know, a lot of these middling free agents are <clears throat> not getting paid. And mm-hmm. the reality is the players are going to have to get over that because that's just the way it's going to be. Teams are getting smarter and they're realizing that it's not worth it to spend $10 million for a number four starter when I can, you know, develop one and it costs us, you know, $700,000 a year to have them. So, yep. but if you, if you raise that floor, <clears throat> then at least that's going to make teams spend. And that, that to me would, would solve a lot of issues. <clears throat> I, I, I see how that would be a positive impact <clears throat> from the player's perspective. I don't really see, see that as driving competitive balance. I think we drive a fair number of teams out of the league. I don't think Tampa Bay has a team anymore. And honestly, Tampa Bay's you know tenure as a team in this league is probably limited. They're, they're probably not they're not they're not going to be around for another decade or two decades. You know, they've already talked about splitting their season in Montreal and doing all kinds of other things to, to get around it. But eventually they're probably going to have to go. Uh, I think other small market teams probably end up following uh, if that's the case. Baseball just it, it does not seem to be able to latch on to a plan or to find a plan. And maybe it's not possible. Uh, given the revenue structure that will truly balance the league in any kind of meaningful way. Uh, you, you, can't, well, you, you just go ahead. No, I was going to say the, those bottom teams, those, 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 whatever you want to call them, small market teams or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, I know the Orioles, they talk about them being a small market team. The Orioles are not really a small market team. I mean, they were just a few years ago, they had a payroll of almost 170 million. Um, <clears throat> But you take a team like Tampa. Now, I don't necessarily feel the floor has to be as high as 100 million, personally. Mm-hmm. I think if you get it in like 85-ish million, like that's fine. I mean, Tampa spent almost 85 million on their payroll this past season. So t- teams can can spend that amount of money. I mean, they get they're they're getting those those small market teams are getting a nice hefty chunk of money in revenue sharing every year. So they're getting that. They're getting the, the national TV money, the local TV money. <clears throat> the problem is <clears throat> With a lot of these owners, they don't really – we don't really know what the teams are making. Now, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. It's none of our business what the teams are making. Mm-hmm. However, when you cry, woe is me, we're not making money, but then you, like as in what we know the Orioles don't do, the Orioles do not include mass and profits when they talk about right, of their, their, yes. their money. So <clears> – <throat> That's where so much money is coming in, but you don't talk about that. So a lot of this ownership crying poor me, it's, it's not really accurate. It's kind of like Fred, uh, um, Rob Manfred the other day said, well, you know, over the last five years, the revenues have been hurt by the pandemic. Well, the pandemic's only been two years. 
And over the last five years, baseball uh, revenues are about $45 billion. So if that's hurting, then I would love to know what's helping. Um, so, I mean, you know, they went from revenues in baseball. What were they in the five years previously is would be my so first question it, there. Like it, like in 2015, baseball revenues were $8.2 billion in 2015. That was before the current, before the CBA. In 2019, they were up to 10 point, they were up to 10.7. So they had a 30% increase in just four years. And, you, you know, the national TV deal money is coming in. And here's the other thing. This is what the players are really bothered by in a lot of this. The revenue is up. But their salaries are down. And that's the real. And, you know, you can sit there and say, well, you know, they, they make a lot of money for playing a game and all that. And that's all accurate. But there's still an idea of, you know, they're bringing in X and we are the product why you're able to bring in X. So we feel like we should be able to get some of that piece of the pie. And I don't think that's unreasonable. Well, I mean, the the easiest way to get some of the piece of the pie is a revenue sharing deal. Uh, Football has it. They've made it work, obviously, in terms of, of how they do things. You know, the cap is very good about, about creating that. Um, I don't, I don't know what baseball ownership does to invest in other teams league. I don't know how you incent the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers and the angels say to invest in the, in the quality of competition around the rest of the league more than they have. If, if you, I, I, I have heard it said that in the early days of baseball in particular, baseball really benefited from having a strong team in New York. Well, that was one of the things, in fact, having the big three in New York for, you know, when Willie Mickey and the Duke were around, obviously it was a very strong thing for, for baseball after the war and before the war for that matter. Uh, it was really a, 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 a big positive in terms of the growth of the game. Uh, I, I don't know that I believe it anymore. I think the, the football model is really the, the, the better model to go with. Uh, and I, I just don't know how baseball gets there without losing their game first and having to rebuild the damn thing. Yeah, I, I don't think they can get there. Um, part of the reason I don't think they can get there is because the MLBPA is just much stronger than the NFLPA is. Oh, yeah. And and they they, they, they always have been. I mean, you know, there's no way that the NF, that you know, for example, that the MLBPA would ever go for non-guaranteed contracts. Um, now it's a different sport. It's, it's, I, I, I understand why it happens, but the drastic changes in the sports in the sport on a financial level will never happen because of the MLBPA and their strength. Um, but the other side to that is, you know, if you're the Yankees and you're giving, you know, large amounts of your money to, to other teams for revenue sharing. And then those teams are essentially not making their team better with that money. Right. You know, you, you look at the Orioles right now. The Orioles will be lucky to have a $50 million payroll in, in this season, in this coming season. Uh, you know, whether and, – and that's, that's looking at it from a 162-game perspective. And that's, that's unacceptable. Now, I, I am – I am not a believer in, you know, going out and spending crazy in free agency in any sport. That's almost always a mistake. But to be in the fourth year of this rebuild um, and to essentially still be going into the season, at least unless things change with what they do after after the after the lockout is done. But to essentially go into this season for the fourth year with the with you trying not to win games. That's that's a tough pill to swallow, I would think, for some of these higher revenue teams. And they're saying, wait a minute, why do I have to give up this money if these teams aren't going to do anything with it? Because the Orioles are one of the teams that receives the money in revenue sharing. Yeah, so I mean, they, it's they, fair to say. I, I've got an answer for you. Is is the problem <laughs> is is not fixed from a from a uh, balanced revenue system. So the the Raven the Orioles don't feel like they can compete, so they defer. Uh, to compete with the value that comes from tanking and has come from for several years now, they've got no incentive at all to bring up like players like Rutschman until it's it's time for them to really derive value from Adley Rutschman or from Rodriguez or from any number of others. Uh, it's just they've they've actually I think done a very good job of 
preparing the franchise for to emerge from this rebuild very strong. And frankly, in, in the last year, I've enjoyed watching MILB a lot more than the major league games by far. I mean, I jump around MILB to watch, you know, at bats all the time for, for players. You too? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's for sure, especially if you're an Oriole fan, because that's yeah. where everything is. I mean, yep. you're, 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 I mean, if, I mean, let's face it, if, if this plan doesn't work, the team's set back for another five to 10 years. I mean, I mean, that's just the reality. You, you, you have to hit on these guys, um, you know, because, I mean, you're not going to hit on all of them, and you know that. Point to like the Cubs, you know, who they tank, they they were terrible for the, all those years, and then they won the World Series. Well, if you look at that World Series team, there were only about six players from that team that they actually developed during that tanking period. That's it. That that's all that was on there. Now we're talking. Some of them were core guys, of course. You yeah. know, your Chris Bryant's and some of those guys. But I'm saying the actual total number. Most of the other players on the team were players that you got through trades or that you signed free agents. The Astros were the same way. The Astros. Their entire pitching staff, when they won the World Series, with the exception of McCullers and one or two other guys, I believe, in the bullpen, was all from outside the organization. They they developed what you're really hoping to develop is your core, right? You know, if you can get that that core group, you know, it's a whole, you know, Orion Mountcastle, for example, is not going to it's not necessarily a core player. He is a really nice complementary piece. Right. He's not a core cord type guy. So, you know, but but, you know, the, you know, the, the, the all these big market teams, you know, they need to do the revenue sharing because in theory, that should be what's best for the sport. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it should by doing that, you should be elevating the, the quote unquote little guys to be able to try to compete. But it's not it's not necessarily working out that way. Well, with revenue sharing, you'd also have men spending and the NFL has that. <laughs> And, and they also have cap spending. So it really does create a relatively you know, narrow runway where teams have to be really smart with their money. And we've been fortunate to have a good front office in, in, with the Ravens that's, that understands these concepts and, and has done consistently well. Uh, I, I don't think you have the problem anymore if you have true revenue sharing, if, if, if everything is shared. I'm not saying it's the way to go, but I, I, you know, cause I, I think you have to make exceptions for teams like the Yankees and, and Dodgers who are giving up so much in, in such a plan. Um, but maybe maybe part of it is that they have to the teams have to give up some of their local TV rights to be nationally syndicated. So if you if you want to buy the rights to the Yankees, you have to buy it uh, via your uh, MLB subscription, but you can't you can't buy it via a local network. So it's, that's a really radical concept, I know, but it's but it, it might have to be something that the that the is a basis of revenue sharing going forward, and and maybe MLB is in a in a good way to promote the game better and make more money on that uh, on those subscriptions than the local networks would be in a position to make. Well, I I can tell you that one thing that would help greatly with that is if they got rid of all the blackout stuff. Um, right. You know, if you're if you're an Oriole fan, for example, and you're in mm-hmm. and you're in Baltimore, you cannot watch an Oriole game on MLB TV. I mean, unless you buy a VPN and you bounce it off and you know, they think you're in California sure. or whatever, but you you can't do that. It's to me, and especially in the era of and everybody, you know, watching from their phones or their iPads or or whatever. <clears throat> I mean, I know me personally, I just we just got rid of cable, and the biggest reason that I got because I found out that Directv streaming has Masson on it, which I didn't know that anybody did. So <clears throat> that allows me to now be able to watch games. So now I can get rid of cable because it, it's not worth it otherwise. So, <clears throat> but if if I could have watched it on MLB TV, I would have gotten rid of cable two three years ago. And you know, Major League Baseball, they're they're missing out. I think. By, and, and the Orioles aren't the only team that does that, by the way. i just just using them mm-hmm. as an example. And by getting rid of – I mean, that was one of the things that they talked about like a year or so ago that they might try to put in this in this um, CBA was the idea of, you know, can they, you know, can they get rid of blackouts? And I haven't heard anything beyond that. And I, I, I wish they would because MLB's – one of their largest problems is they have a really serious marketing issue. They, they don't know how to market the game. Um, it's very it's become very much like hockey where it's just a regional game and and that's it. And MLB needs to figure out a way 
you know, Mike Trout should be one of the most recognizable people on this in this country. I mean, he is, I mean, injuries aside recently, he is one of the few like blank check athletes out there, right? He does everything right. He's an amazing talent. He has no off the field issues. You know, he, he does stuff with kids. I mean, he does everything that you would want a superstar player to be. He is that person. And most people don't even know who he is. And MLB has a problem and they need to figure out how to solve that, um, you know, when it, when it comes to the marketing aspect of it. Well, I, 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 it is a great question because principle of subsidiarity and economics should, should fall into this. But generally speaking, I think the larger organization might be able to, to deal with the advertising at a more appropriate level. The other thing the NFL has that the, that the baseball doesn't is merchandising shared. So they, they do all that. And you want to you sell more trout jerseys. Come up with more trout variations that are available to everybody, you know, on, on these right. various me- methods. And, and you can easily do that. And an individual team may or may not really want to take the risk on such things. A large marketing organization, which is selling all the merchandising, well, they can do it cheaper. They can sell more of it. They, can, they have a broader group they can sell to. I, I think that also goes for the advertising if they, if they de-regionalize all the broadcasting. But, you know, we're talking a lot of theoretical stuff, and I kind of want to bring us back to the topic here, which is what are the what are the real things that are in play currently for the players and the owners that, that they're not agreeing on that, that, that are the, the keys to this particular lockout? So beyond the CBT, which we've talked about, that's arguably mm-hmm. the number one issue. The the, the players want um, they, 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 they've come up with a concept essentially of having a large pool of money for the pre-arbitration young players. So the, the, the minimum salary in baseball for the last several years has, has kind of been, you know, in that 550, 585-ish range. They, they, they've agreed to kind of get it up to around 700,000. The, the number is not 100% agreed upon, but they're, they're within like, they're within a, like $25,000, $30,000 of each other. So you figure somewhere around 700,000, give or take, is going to be the new minimum salary. But what the players want, they want, they, they, they've asked for, um, it started at 110 million, I believe. They're now down to $85 million with it increasing 5 million a year. <laughs> But they want this large pool of money to be able to go to these pre-arbitration players who reach a certain level of incentives. Um, right. You know, in theory, you figure, you know, you know, you're talking about, you know, three-ish million dollars goes to each team and you're paying, you know, hey, you hit a certain number of war. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're able to, you know, they're, they're, Major League Baseball has said that they'll they'll grant a full year of service time if you finish first or second in Rookie of the Year, no matter how much service time you actually accrued. <clears throat> so, base uh, the the players have have asked for this pool of money at about eighty five million. <clears throat> the owners have have countered; they're up to about twenty five million right now. Now they have increased that number a few times by just a couple million dollars, which I don't. I don't even know why you're bothering to increase it if you're only increasing it a few million dollars. It's not negotiating good faith. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, it's like giving the, it's like giving your waitress a $2 tip on a $50 check. You know, I mean, you're, you're, you know, you're giving them something, but you're not really giving them anything. So that, that number is, is a big deal. Um, That is certainly one of, that is probably the second biggest thing right now. Um, And, you know, honestly, I, I really think some of this is – and I don't want to use the word pride or ego as much as, like, respect. If, if you listen to what some of the um, players have said, the way that the, that the owners went about these, these recent negotiations, there was, there was some talk that <clears throat> when they presented them with the, the offer that was after midnight, like around 2 a.m., um, the, the, well, I guess the, the, the early morning of when they canceled games, <clears throat> they said there was all this stuff in fine print that basically ownership was hoping that they could just push through and the players wouldn't notice it. You know, the players made some comments like, you know, they just think we're dumb, you know, that we're not going to read it, that maybe we were just too tired, <clears throat> whatever. And I think the players, <clears throat> and this goes back to the COVID stuff, right? Because that, that, that year, that 2020 year, 
where baseball still had $3.7 billion worth of revenue in 60 games plus the playoffs. <clears throat> That's that, that, that was only 60 games because the ownership didn't want to pay the players more. And they just kept pushing it off and pushing it off. So this has really been, this is a real problem, I think, that goes beyond just the basic numbers. And I think the players, they, they, they want some level of respect. Now, don't get me wrong. The money is still the single most important thing to them. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think that there is something here where there is a respect um, that they want. I mean, there's, you know, they seem to have agreed on the $12 million, I mean, on the 12-team playoff. Uh, Major League Baseball won in 14. <clears throat> they, they, have, um, <clears throat> they have agreed on the, the, the lottery, the draft lottery. It seems like they're going to do five teams in the draft lottery. When will that so start there, there are, for Orioles fans? So when will that, that start, Rob? I have to think that would start 2023. I can't. Right. I know that there are some fans that are worried that, you know, the Orioles would lose their first pick this year. Of but course. I can't imagine that they would yeah. go back on. Because that season was played under the previous CBA. So right. that should be under their rules. Now, if for some reason you want to negotiate that into this CBA, I guess you could do that. But I don't see what the benefit is for anybody to do that because the purpose of it is to try to slow down tanking. Well, the tanking had already occurred. So you're not stopping right. it. So I, I, I don't think that that would have – it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So, But I would think it would start with the first year of the CBA, which you know I would think it would start starting 2023 – that that's what they're going to do. And, you know, which I don't, I don't necessarily know that that solves anything. I, I, you know, it's funny to me that they were wrapped up in some of those types of things that it's like, you know, who cares? These aren't really the, the, the real true sticking points. Right. But, you know, the good news is, is they worked it out and they're the numbers and they are where they are. Okay. So let's, let's move on to another point here because obviously those, those are very significant. The respect issue is a very significant one. I don't, I don't see how on earth they could expect to slip that by anyone. I mean, you're going to want every single I and T I dotted T crossed if you're going through a contract like that. But, but one of the other problems has been elevation of minor league players and the amount of minor league control. Are there any um, thoughts of changing that. I know that, that once you're on the 40-man roster, there's a limited amount of time, or your total, you have six years of minor league free agency, six years before minor league free agency. Is that still true? So, yes. Yeah, so what what the, the players have given up on that. Um, okay. So one of the things that the players were trying to do was, was almost make everybody a super two free agent. Uh, I mean, arbitration person. So what that essentially means, if you're a super two, you get four years of arbitration as opposed to three. Mm -hmm. That extra year is worth a ton of money over the course of, of, of the arbitration, you know, because the, the, let's just say the way it's been. Yes. So instead of going say 585, 585, 585, and then say 3 million, million 15 million right in your six years now it would be five eight or now it would be seven hundred thousand seven hundred thousand you know four million then eight or nine million then 15 million then you know 25 million or something like that you know depending obviously mm-hmm. depending on the performance of the player but that one extra year of free agents of of arbitration is a huge amount of money <clears throat> i think the number was that <clears throat> They they were trying. The players were trying to get it. It was twenty two percent of the players would be like super two, and I think that they were trying to get that number closer to like eighty percent. Okay. Um, the players gave up. The players gave up on that. The, so they're essentially saying, okay, if if these guys aren't going to be able to get the free agency sooner, see my my thought was I I, I thought it should just be. Like I thought they were going to try to pitch something like an age rule. Like, hey, by the time you – your 28-year-old season, if you're not a free agent already, you are a free agent once that season's done. You know, right. whatever whatever age you come up with, 27, 28, whatever it is. But <clears throat> so the players have then said, okay, so, so, so they were trying to do that and they're trying to increase the, the minimum salary, which that has been agreed upon. <clears throat> and then they're trying to do this pre-arbitration money where they can at least put – you know, another couple million dollars and or a million bucks or whatever in these players' pockets. The players aren't wrong in that those young players are they are a cash cow for the teams. I mean, look, 
The number one commodity in pro sports is the, is the rookie quarterback, or is the quarterback on their rookie contract who is playing at a high level, i.e. what, you know, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, what the Ravens have had with Lamar Jackson, all that kind of stuff, because it allows you to spend more money ever, everywhere else. It's, no, it's the same concept here. If, if you have a team full of guys that are just making no money, it allows you so many more things to be able to do. So <clears throat> the players recognize that, and they're saying, well, these guys should start to get more money. The problem with that on, from, the, from the perspective, if you're looking at it from, from kind of outside that, that window, is those players still also need to, to – to give you that performance. You know, you, you can't just assume that, Hey, you know, all of a sudden these guys are, you know, they come up to the minor and they go into the majors and let's start paying them two or $3 million a year. That's not really fair either because they haven't proven themselves. And let's not forget some of these guys, not all of them, of course, but some of them also, you know, they got big signing bonuses. So, you know, a guy like Asley Rutschman's not really hurting for money. I mean, he could really mm-hmm. probably never play again. And, you know, if he does well with his money, he never has to really work or, you know, you know, he, he already has life changing money. Grayson Rodriguez has life-changing money. A lot of these guys have that. Not all of them, but a lot of them do. So <clears throat> the players are – the players rightly are trying to get more money for those guys. And, and I think that that's fair. Um, it's certainly it's – certainly, you know, a team can get a guy out of high school. You know, you, you draft a kid out of high school. That kid's got to be in the majors basic – I mean, in the minors. He can be there for up to about four years or so. And then you can get them for six years after that. So you basically can control the player for 10 years. That's, that's a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. let, let's face it. I mean, in football, what, you're controlling them for five at most, unless you do the franchise tag, right, like as a rookie. The, I mean, you know, there's so, obviously so there's different big, differences, there. big differences in this. Right, yeah, absolutely. The, the, the baseball, absolutely. Uh, for, no question. Let's just go through this for a second, though. The foot, football's minor league system is college. So do they control them for, well, you know, the major league teams aren't gaining any benefit from the players play in the minor leagues. Again, absolutely zilch for that. You know, maybe some excitement about the player coming along, but you gain that on on draft day in the NFL. And then the NFL players, of course, step in right away and play. Uh, and, and many of them start in the, in their very first year, many, or, you know, a, a decent percentage, certainly of the first round picks. So it's, it's a very different system. Uh, and, and it's not terribly different in terms of the amount of total team control, but with shorter careers, as you would expect, uh, you, you, you roll over at a free agency probably about a year sooner than you would in, uh, in baseball, actually, I guess with six years of, of control arbitration, blah, 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 it's really two years earlier, but those, those, First-year contracts that are signed um, obviously are, are, are not huge, and baseball, that, sorry, football has that pay-for-performance component at a much more significant level than baseball does. So they have a they have um, escalators they give to players in their in their first few years who didn't make a big contract uh, get a big contract out of school. Yeah, and and the one thing, see, in baseball, see, football, I'm I'm with baseball is is you know you're coming out of college you got to spend you know if you're drafted out of college you're spending a few years usually in the minors some of them Uh go straight or only have a year but for the most part you're getting two or three years in the minors Uh and then you got six years so by the time that they're free agents they're 30 years old or so and that that becomes the issue there in baseball because you're already past your prime years oh yeah you know the athlete Athletes still, you know, everybody likes to point. Well, you know, some athletes are doing better in late late stages. Yeah, BS. That's true. <laughs> but advances in minute, but it's still it's twenty seven is still your peak age. There you go. It's still the peak yep. age, and it, it and it and it's not going to change your, your your body composition, all that kind of stuff. That, that you know, no matter how many how much you can train and everything else, you're still going to lose speed. You're still going to there's still things that you're going to lose. Every everybody does it. I know ESPN mm-hmm. had an article out uh, a few years ago that like the average person. They start losing speed at 21, 22 years old. So hmm. <clears throat> you're, you're, you're still, you're still going to do that. You're still, you're still going to, to lose that. So if you're a major league baseball player and you're all of a sudden you're, you're 29, 30 years old when you go to free agency, that, that hurts you. Um, which is why I, I did think that they might come up with a year thing, uh, like an age thing, because, you know, so often some of these guys may not need to stay in the minors as long as they are. 
Well, that, that, that's certainly possibly true. And, and why wouldn't they just have a different standard for college and high school athletes? Because uh, high school athletes are almost all drafted at 17 or 18, and the college athletes are drafted usually at 20, 21, 22. When, when, when it's draft day and you get a 23-year-old, do you really pissed off at your team about it usually uh, for the MLB draft? Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Adley Rutschman has no business being in the minor league. Mm-hmm. I, I understand that 2020 happened and, you know, and you didn't have the minor league season. And if that, is, if, if that was a normal year, he probably would have been in the Orioles last year. I, I understand that. But if, if you know, all these people, they think that the, the teams keep players down because they need that time. That's not true. Of if, course if not. You said right now, if you said right now that every, every player becomes a free agent their age 27 season or 28 season, whatever year you want to set, there is no way these teams would be keeping these players down as long as they do. They don't need to keep them down. They choose to keep them down. They manipulate their time and bring them up when they want to. Now, don't get me wrong. There are players that need to stay down and, and, and do that stuff. But, but, but the Adley Rutschmans of the world, the, the, the Grayson Rodriguez's of the world, if you said, hey, guess what? They, they're a free agent by the time they're 27, 28 years old. Guess what? They're in the majors quickly. Right. And, and that's just the reality. What would it, would it have to be different for a pitcher would be one of my questions. Because I don't I, – I, first of all, I think pitchers, particularly left-handers, come along at, at very varying ages. And you you can get you're not going to have the great flamethrowers you know throwing into their mid thirties. I'm not claiming that, but I, but I would claim that the arm training that's necessary has proven to take a little bit longer for pitchers than it takes for hitters. So as great hitters, they should be in the major leagues at 21, and if they're not, there's often a problem. Uh, 21, 22, and and you know college college players. The manipulation aside. If you look back at the history of baseball, the great hitters all, always make it very young. But great pitchers, not always. They come along oftentimes no, not, much later. Yeah, not always. The, the only thing I would say about that is if you're a high school pitcher, you're, you know, getting that time. You know, I, I the high school pitcher, you know, one of the things that had been talked about, and it was more, I don't think it had been talked about, like, officially. It was more just writers and people in, around the game throwing it around was, kind of like if you're drafted out of high school i mean out of college the team owns your rights for seven years right mm-hmm. or eight years or whatever it is and out of, and out of high school it's 10 years or, or whatever so if you're a college pitcher which you know the bottom line is, is some of these college pitchers they they they, they get abused mm-hmm. um with how their teams use them but <clears throat> a lot of them have had built up innings like i i think one of the things that people forget about development of baseball players is that that can happen in college too. It doesn't oh, sure. just have to happen in the minors, you know. So I, I do think if you're if you're a it, you know the rules would certainly have to be different for a high school. You can't just say, well, you only get eight years out of a high school player. I, I don't think that mm-hmm. that would be fair because you know you need to be. I mean, look at DL Hall, right? I mean, that you know he's he's had he had command issues, you know, he's had injury issues and stuff like that. Now he has, he's on the 40 man, which is like the most unfortunate thing for the Orioles throughout all this, because you'd love for him to be able to be building up innings and building up his arm this year while this is all going on. But um, if, if you said, well, he had to be up a year or two ago, um, that like that would have been a problem for him, for the team, stuff like that. But a college guy that, you know, might be seen a, Perfect example, you know, barely pitched in the minors, right? Like, I mean, he he doesn't, right. you know, he didn't need the time. Um, ben a lot McDonald, of these high school, a lot of these college others. guys, yep. A lot of these college guys, they don't they don't necessarily have to go down. I I, I guarantee you, Mark Leiter, who was drafted by the 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 Rangers, uh, I think fifth or sixth overall, fourth overall, whatever it was, in the last draft, he was a stud for Vanderbilt. They probably could have brought him right to the majors if they wanted to, and he probably could have competed. Now, I'm not saying he would have been great, but could he have been a sub five, five and a half ERA pitcher? Which would have made him, you know, one of the second best, like the second best pitcher on the Orioles. Low I bet bar. you he could have. Yeah. Yeah. Low right. Bar. I mean, I bet you yeah. he could have. I bet you he could have, you know, he could have, he could have contributed. Let's put it that way. And, you know, but teams are, they, they don't, they're not forced to do anything. So they can manipulate these guys. And I think the players would, would want to see. At least if you're going to manipulate them, they want, they want them to have some extra things that they can get once they get in. Okay. The flat age methodology makes a little bit more sense to me. 
Um, and, and I think it makes sense mm-hmm. in terms of, of you know, a, a player makes a choice himself about does he want to get into a minor league system, which is going to be really, de- really dedicated to honing him and, and training him to be a major leaguer or go to college and take the chance on being abused where, where you know, he's not going to be abused in a minor league system. He's going to be coddled. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's. It, I think that there is a legitimate question on that. And I think age 28, you know, might be a reasonable uh, way. I think the good organizations already are looking to offload players at 28 anyway, because they, they don't want to buy into the decline of a player. A lot of times it's certainly true in the NFL. Uh, you know, you, you have to be very cognizant of that. Uh, so it's, it's, I think that, that to me is a reasonable solution. I think back to the 1980s and I think of it as probably what is, would now be a politically incorrect bias I had at the time is that, I never wanted to see a Dominican position player drafted by the Orioles or, or it would be my philosophy of any team if, that I was a GM for not to do it. And the reason was there was so much lying about age back then and that, you know, uh, Epi right. Guerrero had set up everyone to lie about their age by two years. And I'm just thinking how punitive this measure would be on a group like that that's lying to appear younger <laughs> and they, then they right, have to yeah. wait longer to become free agents. But it, it really, I think it would make the system more honest uh, in terms of the international players to have a set age where they, where they uh, become free agents. So I'd, I'd be in favor of that. So it's well, a good, it's it's first, actually also, first time I've heard it. Yeah. And, and they, they've also, they, they pitched the idea of the international draft. Mm-hmm. That, the, that the owners say that they want and the owners, you know, they came out and they said, you know, one of the reasons we like this is because we feel that, you know, it, 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 it balances the, the playing field of international signings. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, with the slot bonus money, everybody can spend the same amount of money. But, you know, there there is a there there's still a manipulation there. And that, that's that's according to what Manfred said the other day, um, where, you know, there, there's still some teams that are able to maybe, you know, they've they've been able. I mean, some of it is, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, the, the, the international free agent class two years from now, a lot of them already know where they're going to sign right now. Hmm. Um, that's just the way that that usually works. You, you, you know, if, you know, for example, Oriole fans have have you know, bash the Orioles because recently, even though with their increase in international, that they're not signing more seven figure guys. Well, those seven figure guys have already been signed by, it's just not an official sign. I mean, it's right. kind of like the Orioles, the, the, the two guys that they just signed that, that they're seven figure guys. We knew about that six, eight months ago. Um, it just was just announced in in January, but this is Prieto and the so, other guy. <laughs> This is uh yeah to, uh, uh uh Braylon Tavera and uh well Prieto was I think he was more of a recent one uh the other uh, god the other guy's name is escaping me I can't uh, I, I'm, it's escaping me at the moment okay. but like even like last year with Mikhail M- McCall uh how do you pronounce his name Hernandez and Samuel Basalo both of those we knew about them before they had signed like like that was that was known. um so that's that's just how it works so now they're saying well let's do an international draft and. It, it, it levels that playing field a little bit. And that's the, that's fine. I mean, that's one of the few things I think ownership has actually said where it makes me think that they're actually looking out for competitiveness. Because I, I, I don't personally think either side is caring about the competitiveness of the game. I think they just want to make sure they get paid. Um, the, 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 what the, 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 the quality of the game and the fans are a distant right for them. It, it, it does seem like the, the, the people who are suffering in this, the groups that, that don't get uh, really looked at as much are one is anybody's retired from the game. And there used to be a big thing in football about, you know, we're, we're looking out for retired players. Well, screw that. The, 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 the current players have no interest in looking out for retired players. No. The other one is, is young players. And generally speaking, the older players who run the MLBPA, but also who run the NFL in a big way, are not interested in paying guys on their rookie contracts more. And that's why this very, you know, I think foundational and a positive thing for competitive balance has stayed around is that, is that the the existing players in the NFL said, wait a minute, I already paid my dues. Are you telling me you want to bring bring back bigger sinuses and bigger bonus pay for younger players? That doesn't make any sense to me. And, and I think that they would, you know, in the same vein, 
the older players in the league, and, and it could be anybody who's been in the league like two or three years now, is not interested in having the time to free agency reduced for a generation of players behind them when those people are going to competing with them for salary dollars when they get there. So it's just, it's, it's yeah, interesting no. that it, everybody's got their own, yeah. you know, basically wallet in mind. Well, you know, the, there's something that, 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 that was, that's interesting to me that recently popped up with um, on the PGA tour with mm-hmm. the whole other league that they're trying to do in Saudi Arabia and Phil Mickelson's comments. And I heard an interview with Tiger Woods, um, uh, I think it's. I think it was like last week or the week before, and they asked him about. So one of the one of the issues that that like Phil Mickelson has is he feels basically that that the that the PGA is making a ton of money off the players and that the players aren't getting enough of that piece of pie. But one of the things that I never heard before that Tiger Woods brought up, and this is kind of going to your point, <clears throat> Tiger said that we have the best retirement plan of any pro sport. And he talked about, and he said, and of course, in our sport, we can also play a lot longer and mm-hmm. still make money. And his basic point was, yes, maybe the tour is making X, Y, Z off of us. But you can't just look at that. Like from a, from a PGA tour player, we like there, you don't think about stuff like health insurance and stuff for these pro athletes, right? Like sure. you just don't consider that as, as a, as, as you know, cause we're like, well, you're making all this money. Of course you can pay for your health insurance, but most of the guys don't make the big money. I mean, they just don't, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, $550,000 is a lot of money to us, but once you take away taxes, you, you know, you, you, you pay your agent, you do those types of things, that money goes, it starts to whittle quickly. So Tiger talked about that. And that's, that's, there, there is some of that stuff that you never hear about, and and you know you you heard a lot about it about football with you know, recently, like you just said with with these guys talking, you know, because you know these older players, you know, you hear the stories of like a Michael McCrary who can't even walk up and down the steps, and you know all this stuff, and and you don't think about like little stuff like a health insurance plans for these guys when they retire and stuff like that, and the players, but I agree with you when the players talk about that stuff. It's their way of pushing the good PR. This is what we're after, but the reality is, it, it's kind of like ML. It's kind of like the NFL with the concussion stuff. You know, oh, we're doing this stuff for the player safety. No, you're not. Right. <laughs> you're doing it because you well, don't want to be sued. The NFL actually, I think the owners published in one of the last CBA negotiations what had been what the current benefits were for the NFL players if you look at those and you compare them to working man benefits they are unbelievable in terms of of what they have available to them and i'm sure the players because it's there's some cafeteria style stuff in there don't take advantage of all but it's unbelievable what is available to them yeah uh, in, in terms yep. of that, uh, we actually worked at Transamerica, and one of the things the NFL players had was long-term care insurance through the NFL. And I know that I, I, I know something about the factor of which their their claims were expected to be higher. And all I could say is, with what we've learned about concussions, it'd be amazing to me if Transamerica ever makes any money on that block. It's just it's a, right. It's, they, yeah. if, if they bought their long-term care insurance, they're gonna they're gonna do very well with that. So uh, anyway, I, I, uh, I, this has been great uh, talking about this. Let's talk about one more issue. And I want to talk about this briefly because I want to do a separate show on this with you, uh, Rob. This has been such a good conversation. Is the issues of the quality of play. Now, you mentioned this briefly, but in terms of the quality of the game, to, to me, it has suffered in a lot of ways. Uh, obviously, teams, other leagues get it in terms of particularly the NFL, in terms of understanding how to make the game more exciting. And if we're really down to discussing why it's unfair that one team gets the ball by the flip of a coin in overtime and the other team it, it, you know, doesn't get another chance if that first team scores a touchdown, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, that minor an issue in terms of play balance. Yep. You know, little things about review and whatnot, they're nothings in the NFL. The game is very fair. It's very balanced. Um, with, with, with baseball, um, in the 1980s, when I was originally into sabermetrics, um, the advent of OPS, I believe, really ruined the game in a lot of ways. And Stats Inc. started reporting it, but they didn't think that people would be freaking stupid with it, 
frankly, and, and, and take mm-hmm. it as the cardinal number. And now we have OPS Plus, which park adjusted and league adjusted. It's a little bit better. But the fact of the matter is you're adding two things of unequal value. You have offense on-base percentage and slugging percentage. On-base percentage is worth twice as much as slugging percentage is. And yet hitters grow up learning it's, it's just as important or thinking it's just as important. And the easiest way to get to the major leagues is to hit a lot of home runs. And it, it, it may be, but it's really hurt the game. And now there's complaints about things like the shifts ruining the game, which within the context of that is just absurd to me. Talk about some, maybe some other issues with the game itself that you'd like to see fixed that you think would make it better. So first of all, by the way, this is why you also, you look at WOBA. Uh, yes. Instead of because that that, that, yes, that I gives agree. you a little bit more on uh, on on base percent. And, and, and by but, the way, um, by the way, how many people know what WOBA is as opposed to know understand what not, OPS or OPS plus? Yeah, is? yeah, it, it, that's the problem. Not right many. there. Um, yeah, but I would. Um, so first of all, I think me pers- This is a personal opinion. I think some of the stuff about the length of the game is overblown. Um, you know. I understand that people love college football, but college football games take four hours sometimes and Mm -hmm. nobody complains about the length of those games. I get it. It's a different sport. It's exciting. It's more exciting. I get all of that, but it's still a four hour commitment to watch some of these games. And I, I, to me, I have no problem with a pitch clock. I think Mm -hmm. there's, there's, and, and, and by the way, conversely, I think you have to, put a clock on the hitter you know they they, they should yeah. be able to get outside the box and all that kind of stuff yeah the pitch clock is fantastic by the way for minor league baseball i think it's set at 17 seconds and it, mm-hmm. the milb has a 15 second fast forward if you just want to watch one pitch at a time and let's face it minor league baseball is completely results oriented i don't really care about the game i care about what's happening right. pitch by pitch and i want to do fast forward 15 seconds at a time i can watch the entire game I could, I, and yep. it's it's entertaining. I don't have to stop for commercials. It's it's fantastic product they they've given us there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I um I, I'm I'm very much in favor of of a pitch clock and and a batter's clock, whatever you want to call it. Um, I personally am a hundred percent in favor of a robo umps, especially behind the mm-hmm. plate. I think. I think throughout sports, the refing and the umpiring, whatever, is brutal. I mean, it's really bad. Now, don't get me wrong. It's amazing how right some of these guys yes. are on plays that are like, like plays at first base. And, you know, they slow it down. And it's, it's incredible. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want robo-umps everywhere else. But behind the plate, I'm okay with that. I think that helps move the game along if you're actually calling a consistent known strike zone that is right. actually by the rule book and stuff like that. I, I think that would be tremendous. I think getting rid of shifts is just dumb. I mean, I don't even understand the thought process behind it. Ted Williams was, they shifted against Ted Williams and he hit 400. I mean, mm-hmm. the, 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 the reason that shifts work is because the modern player is so stubborn and they mm-hmm. think, you know, Chris Davis thinks I have to pull everything and hit the ball to the warehouse. Instead we'll of go through the this other way. on a separate episode. I, yeah. I really want to talk about so. this in depth because the history that's very interesting. So, yeah, uh, but, but, but I, I, is there another thing in the game that you really want to see changed? Something I mean, ninety-one foot bases to increase hitting, but larger ballparks. I mean, anything like that? No, I I think that there's. I, I've I've read a few things that I think have some validity of moving the pitcher's mound back, uh, back a, a foot. Um, the, Huge the, the change. Some stuff written about six, 61 feet six inches as opposed to sixty mm-hmm. feet six inches. Um, I, I've I've read some stuff on that 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 would make me kind of like like that what i don't want in the game i don't want things like i i've been for the universal dh i i the idea that there's more strategy with a pitcher hitting is just bullshit. that was always one of the most asinine things i've ever heard yeah. but 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 um the, the thing for me is that what i don't think should be done is a fundamental change of the sport you know i mean they're t- i mean like 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 for example the putting the the runner on second base in extra innings like mm-hmm. i i was really against that just because it just it just completely changed it to me it's kind of like like I, I i'm totally against the idea of like the college football playoff because you take special teams out of the sport right like i mean mm-hmm. if you're a team like let's just use the ravens as an example they pride themselves on special teams and, you know, that's an advantage that they might be able to have in overtime. And all of a sudden, if you just say, well, everybody just gets a possession and special teams doesn't matter. 
Um, I, I, that, that, I don't like that. That, that, that's a fundamental change of the sport, which I don't agree with. So anything that changes the sport dramatically, I'm not with, but, uh, speeding up the game with pitch clocks, uh, you know, the better umpiring, um, you know, maybe moving the mound back, the movement of the mound back is probably the most drastic thing that I could see being Uh, for. And I've read enough where it sounds like that could be worth doing. That would be a, a people don't understand just how big a change that would be. I mean, they, they made you know small changes in the height of the mound over time that it made a big difference. This the distance mm-hmm. to home plate. Um, there's all, there's also adjusted distances for taller pitchers. You'll see occasionally happen. So like Randy Johnson when he throws 95, really appears like he's throwing 101 or whatever. You know, think right, numbers of right. that order of magnitude because of the the distance at which he releases the the ball to the plate based on his height. Um, that would tell you right there that. A change of a foot in terms of mound distance is going to be a very big deal uh, to to changing the nature of the game. I, at this point in baseball history, and with its relative loss of attractiveness to other sports, I think everything needs to be on the table for baseball in terms of fundamental changes to the sport. And, and I'm okay if they want to change distances to bases, make them 91 feet, increase infield hits, decrease power and importance of the game. If they want to have minimum outfield distances that would be more in line with today's sluggers. I think that's fine. If they want to change the nature of the baseball, that's all up for grabs, make it less uh, less uh, of an Astro ball um, or maybe more of a 1970s Astros ball, you know, where they, where they'd be not hitting a lot of home runs. Uh, I, I'm up for any of that. Even even ball strike changes. If they want to go to three balls and two strikes or, or you know, change other things about a two-strike foul, maybe you get one free one or then after that you strike out. I, I don't care. I, and any of that's up for grabs as far as I'm concerned in terms of, uh, of changing the nature of the game because I think baseball situation is very dire. Well, I think – so baseball's biggest problem right now is it's a three-outcome sport. Mm-hmm. It's a home run, it's a walk, it's a strikeout. Right. And, you know, there's been a lot of angst in Baltimore about the Orioles moving the left field fence back, which Mm -hmm. I don't understand the angst at all. Uh, I mean, to me, I think it's a great move. Um, The the one thing that people. So so hitting a home run is all great. Right. But it gets to a certain point where it's not an exciting thing to happen. You, You watch, you know, some people might remember. Like the the eighties and and some of the nineties, the the old Kansas City Royals teams that mm-hmm. just you know they they hit and that 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 Kauffman Stadium was a triples ballpark back in mm-hmm. the day, and you know with guys like Willie Wilson and all running all over the place, and 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 that was exciting. You know the the Rays play exciting baseball now. Now they have few years they're they're a much more home run hitting team in a lot of ways but that park it's a lot of extra base hits it's a lot of stolen bases it's a lot of that type of stuff a lot of bat on the ball when the royals won the world series they were they they were all contact hitters they they weren't sitting up there swinging missing all that kind of stuff so by moving the fence back at camden yards it's going to bring in more extra base hits that stuff becomes more exciting and it's a better brand of the sport when you how, how do you cut down on strikeouts? <laughs> because that, that to me, that's um, one of the problems. Strikeouts are at historical levels right now, by the way. Uh, and, and it, you know, people, people complain about modern hitters like, uh, well, Ted Williams never struck out more than, I think it's 64 times in a season. He only three times he struck out 50 or maybe it was four. But, you know, it, it, the game was different. It was all day baseball for starters. And the guys didn't all throw 98 miles an hour. Uh, and not everybody throws that hard, but there's a lot of pitchers who throw that hard. And there's a lot of pitchers who throw 95 now. And what, 93, 94 is kind of an average fastball in the NFL, in in major leagues today? Yeah. And, and the thing is, so, you know, it, it's really ironic with this stuff with the, with the players in the, and the strike and everything and them trying to get more money for the older, for the, for those middling guys, mm-hmm. because, the analytics have told all of these guys that you should be swinging for the fences and you should be trying to hit home runs and do all this stuff. But the analytics are also what tell you not to sign the 31 year old shortstop, you know, to a, to a six year deal. Right. Right. So (laughs) the biggest difference changed to me in the sport over the last several years has been the use of relievers. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about strikeouts being up, look, 
I can remember going back, going going back to the Orioles 2012 season, <clears throat> and when they had <clears throat> the, the 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 one game against the Rangers, and they started Saunders in that game. I can remember yeah. saying that you talking about the wild card game. Now. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. This should be bullpen only game for the Orioles. Now Saunders <laughs> pitched great, so it <laughs> ended up that that ended up working out. But I can remember thinking, why are we not starting Darren O'Day? to go out there and throw a couple innings and then, you know, just keep stacking them up. There's a reason for that because you don't, because what the analytics have showed is that most of these pitchers can't go through a lineup multiple times. Even the starters, they just can't do it anymore. So <clears throat> the statistics say, well, wait a minute. If, if the third time through your lineup, you're, you're, you're giving up an 800 OPS. Why would I not bring in a reliever that can go through three hitters at a time, you know, through bringing multiple relievers that'll go through that lineup and they're hitting, they're getting a 600 OPS and they're striking everybody out that I, I don't know how that changes unless you just say we're limiting the amount of pitchers you're allowed to have in a game, which I don't in a nine inning game, at least. And I don't know that they do that. They might, I mean, they tried to do it with the whole three batter thing. Um, I, I don't know if you're going to go to that, that drastic, Level, but I, I, to me, if you're going to say how do we cut down on strikeouts, I, I think that's really the only way because I don't think players are going to stop swinging for the fences because that's how you get paid, and the pitchers aren't going to. And by the way, the idea of moving the mound back might help with the strikeouts too. Right, of course, that's um, that's the big thing. You know, I was just going to say. So, so, so that's so so. I mean, that's that's. I mean, that that's really the only stuff that I think you can do because you know. To be honest with you, if they called the strike zone the right way, that actually might increase it even more. Right. So you'd be you'd be at risk of having uh, of having fewer. Yeah, you get you get bad calls both ways. I'm not, I'm not really sure how that would work out. I'm all, I I would agree with you. I'm all for the robo umping. We got we got to call this one here, Rob. But great show. Love to do one for you on rules changes more because I think that's that's interesting. And I think we're, we've talked about doing one in terms of the shift particularly. Tell folks again where they can where they can find your writing. So I um, uh, write for uh, Russell Street Report and then also their subsidiary, Utah Street Report, for the Orioles. Um, I just put out an article about talking about the Carlos Correa Orioles rumor um, and how how much we should even think that that's realistic and then, you know, why the Orioles could do it. But, yeah, I mean, I tend to um, leave the – especially on the Raven side, the film study to other people who are a little bit better at that. I like to concentrate more on, like, the, the team-building stuff, free agency, that type of thing. Um, same thing with baseball. Um, wouldn't consider myself a scout by any means. But, you know, in terms of team-building and things like that, that's, that's what I like to focus on with those sites. But you can find the work there. All right. Very good. Rob, a pleasure having you on. Other folks out there, if you'd like to do an episode this offseason, this football offseason, I'm doing a, a, a set called Fixing the Ravens still. And if you have a particular fairly narrow area we can get into fairly deeply in about 20 minutes, that's perfect. Uh, give me a, a DM on Twitter. The DMs are always open. Uh, Rob, thanks again for being on. And we'll talk yeah, to you next time. Thank you for time. having me. G- good time. All right. We'll great. Talk thank to you, you next time on Film Study. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.